You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. This morning, I want to ask us a question from uh, the book of Acts, chapter 7, and if you want a title, it would simply be this, what kind of house will you build for me? What kind of house will you build for me? And I want to be following on really from where Dr. John Andrews was last week in his message, uh, purpose has a price or the cause is worth the cost as we consider our lives in this season uh, and today ask what kind of house will you build for me, asks the Lord. I don't know if ever any of you have been involved in the building of a house. I know there are some in our midst who are involved in construction. And Anthony Legate, he's retired now. He's near the back um, and he's keeping his head down. But he used to run a construction company and, and his company physically built the, the previous church building. And uh, such is the grace of Anthony that when they knocked it down, he still continued to be a worshiper here. But, um, <laughs> but like, he knows how to build a house. Probably hasn't done it for a bit. Uh, Rich Williams, who's somewhere in our service, who was the goalie yesterday. And uh, uh, the Rich, Rich is a manager in construction. Uh, but he, he was actually physically involved in the building of this building, which was really handy recently because we had to knock a wall down on our top floor to make more office space. And we phoned Rich and said, well, can you remember, was the floor screeded before the wall went in? And he could remember, so it helped us with our planning. And uh, so he knows how to build a house. There are others, maybe, maybe you've been involved in building a house. I, I had, a, I had an aspiration in my 20s to, to build a house. Um, I, I remember looking for plots of land uh, for auction, and I, I think those days have passed. Esther will be very relieved, but like I, I would love to have done that, and some of you, uh, I, I don't think I, I'm going to do that now, um, but some of you might want to do that, might be interested in grand designs or you know, that, that sort of thing. Just, just give me a wave. You, you like that idea. You know, I'd like to be involved in that. I think it's quite an exciting idea. You know, there's something that God has put within us we're made in the image and likeness of God, right? And, and, and Jesus says, I will build my church. God, God is a creator. God is a builder. He's building his church. And we're made in the image and likeness of God. And all of the creatures in creation, they, they might produce basic shelter. They might produce a home base. But, but no, nothing else in creation builds like we build. You know, we, people, we build organizations, we build businesses, we build cities, we, we organize, we administrate, we communicate, we handle complexity. There's, I think there's something within us as a desire to build. You know, some of us, we want to build a house, but maybe uh, if you're of my generation, you built with Lego. Maybe if you're the next generation, you build on, on Minecraft. I've, I'm told that to be good in Fortnite, you have to learn how to build. And so there's, there's something within us that, that actually delights to build. And I believe God has wired us that we should build. It's like we're hardwired at birth to build. I don't know, maybe you've been to the beach, been to the seaside and built, who's, who's ever built a sandcastle? We think there's a picture on, on the screen of like this. Like that, that's, like, that's a serious sandcastle, right? So like, I, I've been, I, we once actually, we were at the seaside and uh, we happened to rock up at a beach on a day that it was like an annual sandcastle competition. I mean, it blew my mind. Like, you know, I've turned out a pot, but like, I mean, there were people there, they, you know, they, they had spray cans to keep it moist and they had, like, they had like equipment, like proper massive shovels and then like, you know, knives and, you know, for the finery. And I mean, it's, it's an art form. 
Um, there's something within us, I think, that delights to build. Uh, but the question today is, what kind of house will you build for me? Because the truth is, if we understand it, we're actually all building something with our lives. And if you turn with me to Acts chapter 7, I'm going to read the verses that this question comes from, although not so much preach out of this text, and then we'll jump to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, which will be our, our main text for today. Uh, this uh, is Acts chapter 7, uh, breaking in at verse 45, and it's, it's the speech or, or the sermon that Stephen gives just before he is martyred. He's the first martyr in the church, and this is his speech. Uh, I'm breaking in towards the end of what he says. He says, he's after receiving the tabernacle, our ancestors under Joshua brought it with them, and they took the land from the nations God drove out before them. It remained in the land until the time of David, who enjoyed favor, and asked that he might provide a dwelling place for God, the God of Jacob, but it was Solomon who built a house for him. However, the Most High does not live in houses made by human hands. As the prophet says, this is from Isaiah 66, heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord, or where will my resting place be? Now just hold that thought for a moment and come with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And this is Paul now writing to the church in Corinth, and he says this, breaking in at verse 10, 1 Corinthians 3.10, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one of you should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. And verse 16, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Holy Spirit dwells in you or in your midst? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We've got two passages here. The, the first passage in Acts 7, Stephen is preaching and he's really unpacking Israel's history. But when he comes into land, he, he says, you know, look, David had this desire in his heart to build a temple. God had been in a tabernacle and David said, in my heart, here I am living in a palace. I want to build something for God. His, his heart was right. Uh, and yet, actually, God said, it's not your generation, it's the next generation to build it. And yet, God says, and this is what Stephen says, really, you know, God's really saying, what sort of, I mean, thank you, but what sort of house do I need? I, I made the heavens and the earth. The heavens are my, uh, are my throne and the earth is my footstool. This, this is the, so if we think about that, it's hard to visualize that. But if we think that the earth is his footstool, then to build a building, it's kind of inadequate, isn't it? And, and this, is, this is the word. So, and yet, when we come to 1 Corinthians 3, Paul is saying, I laid a foundation as an expert builder. Paul was the founding father of the church. He'd gone there on his secondary, second missionary journey. Uh, and, and he birthed the church. He took the gospel and he birthed the church there in Corinth. Now he's obviously not there because he's writing. 
And he said, I, I laid a foundation as an expert builder or a wise builder, an expert builder, some of the, the translations. He said, under my apostolic input, a foundation was laid, which is Jesus Christ, and the church was built, but someone else is now building on it. In the immediate context, he's actually speaking about the teachers that are there at the time. But he goes on to say uh, that people are building differently, and wh what they build will be judged on the day, capital D, day of judgment. And, and what we come to see here is actually, although the immediate context is the leaders and the teachers in that place that are building doctrine and leadership and organization on his foundation, there is something that should be a wake-up call to all of us that says there is a day, capital D, that will reveal the work of our lives. That actually we are all building. That we are building with our lives. That final verse, are, are, we are, do we not know we are temples of the Holy Spirit. Let's not think that is merely talking about the body. Now, yes, does the Holy Spirit come and dwell within us? Yes, he does. But, but the temple that I am is also the temple that I am building, which is not so much my body, it is my life. And the analogy comes that I might be building in what will be seen to be as gold, silver, and costly stones, but at the same time, I could be building in wood, hay, straw. And the fire, when I stand before him, will burn and test that. And if what I have built with my life is burned up, the Bible says I will suffer loss. I will be saved if my foundation is Jesus. I hope we get this today. We've been singing about this the first front end of our meeting. We are saved by Christ alone and his grace. And if on the basis of Christ, I were to build with wood, hay, straw, Although the challenge is if I'm truly in Christ, I will be transformed and do more than that. But if I were to, I would be saved, the Bible says, but as one escaping through the flames. You know, I'll get burned on the way and I'll get singed on the backside on my way. I'll get in by the grace of Jesus. But if my life and the decisions that I make and how I live and how I invest my, my life is considered to be gold, silver, costly stones, then the fire will test it and it will stand and I will receive my reward. And so on the context of 1 Corinthians 3, the question in Acts 7 of what kind of house will you build for me, which is kind of rhetorical, actually comes home. I hope that makes sense. And so my question to us today is what kind of house will we build for him? We come to see that how we live what we do, the priorities of our lives, the choices we make, the things we invest in, the values that we hold to, the passions we pursue, they constitute how and what we are building. So how should we build? Well, firstly, we should build on Christ alone. Hello? We, sh we should build on Christ alone. We've been singing that. We just sung that. Christ alone. I think probably we should probably, though we just said, we should probably finish the service with that song. Um, we should build on Christ alone, the cornerstone. The song, this Hillsong song that's gone around the world in the last few years, is actually based on the old hymn that's coming up for 200 years old. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. You know, it's all about Jesus, the, the early church. It was all about Jesus. Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost and preaches, and he, and he says, you let, let all Israel hear this. This Jesus, let's say this Jesus. This Jesus. Ah, I love this. He says, let Israel hear this. 
this Jesus, whom you crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. And he goes on to say, be, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus. And, and Jesus is put absolute central, center stage. You know, a couple of days later, uh, two of the, the apostles, the disciples, they're heading up to the temple and there's a, there's a, a beggar there who's crippled, been crippled since birth, the Bible says. And he calls out and says, you know, have you got any money? And, and Peter says, you know, silver and gold we have not, uh, but in the, name of, in, the name, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. Uh, and he gets up and everyone's astounded and they get called in for questioning and uh, it's, really, it's really amazing, uh, their response, because they really upset the authorities. But then he says this, It is by the name of Jesus, whom you crucified, but God raised, that this man now stands healed. Jesus is the stone that you builders rejected. He's become the cornerstone. Now, the cornerstone is it's the, it's the chief foundation. If you lay a foundation you know, in old buildings, it, it, you know, now you see it, we sometimes see on a building site, you see it dug out, they'll dug out and they'll pour concrete in. But in the old days, you, you had to prepare a foundation to build upon, but you laid a first stone, the first corner of which the foundation was laid. If you didn't get the cornerstone right, you didn't get everything else right, and so the foundation is built off the cornerstone. He says, Jesus, this, this one you rejected has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else. There is no name under heaven given to mankind other than this by which we must be saved. And this is what Paul say. I laid a foundation as an expert builder. The foundation, he says, is Jesus Christ. We've just read that. The foundation of our lives. How should I build? I have to build my life on Jesus. If I'm not building my life on Jesus, anything else I'm going to say today is irrelevant. I have to start on Jesus. If, if my foundation's out of whack, everything's out of whack. You know, if, the, if, the founda- if you have got trouble with your foundations in your house, you've got trouble. Because everything that's built on it will start to move. You have subsidence, you have cracks, you might have to underpin, you might have to correct what's going on there. It's a serious issue if you've got foundations issue. It's a serious issue for us if we've got a foundational issue. The, the only way Jesus can be my cornerstone, can be my foundation, is firstly that I understand that he died for me and I accept his grace. Now let me say to you today, if you're not a Christian and you're in this place and you're singing these songs and seeing people breaking bread and talking about the cross is because Jesus died for you. He he died that all your sin, your shame, all the things you ever did wrong, every thought was taken by Jesus on the cross. He died for you. You might think, "I'm, I'm too bad for that. Let me tell you, you are not too bad for that. He took everything. And when we come and we accept that message and we say sorry and we receive his forgiveness and then we put a foundation in our lives. We make a decision to follow him, to make him savior, but also Lord. We put a foundation in our lives. That's step one. But today, if you've never done that, can I urge you, come at the end and let, let some of us pray with you to receive Jesus as your Lord and savior. But also, I then have to shape my life in response to that. And in that way, I allow a foundation to be laid in my life where his ways become my ways. It's part of the laying of a foundation in my life, in my world. I remember, where, you know, thanks be to God, he continues to be at work in me. And probably not just me. He continues to be, we are works in progress, are we not? 
And, and yet when I was first a Christian, there was a lot that needed putting right. I remember the Holy Spirit coming and putting his, his finger on areas of my life, and I had to sort a lot of things out, sort my language out. I had to sort some of my behavior out. I remember him actually coming and, and visiting my music. I remember having a, a, an encounter with God in my bedroom, feeling convicted about some of my music. Now, you know, it wasn't Spotify in those days. I had a collection of, of hard copy stuff. And I remember going through my, my tapes and, my, like, and it was literally like the Holy Spirit went, no, 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 okay, no, no. And, and then some of it I got, some of it I didn't get, but I, I just trusted him. And I remember having this massive clear out of music, of stuff that was not honoring to him. And, and what happens, you kind of think, wow, that's a bit extreme, isn't it? But actually it's to do with the laying of a foundation that the rest all that is to follow can be built on something that is a foundation of Jesus. We have to build our lives on the foundation that is Jesus. He'll come and visit. See, Jesus, there's no one like Jesus. He's the source of our salvation. He's the focus of our worship. He's the compass for our direction. He's the blueprint for our actions. He's the teacher we are obeying. He's the leader we're following. And if I undermine his lordship in my life now, I, I undermine the foundations of my life. When an earthquake comes naturally, foundations that were solid and set can be disrupted and buildings can fall. You know, I, I can allow the foundation to be undermined if I don't attend to his continuing lordship on my life. But if I do, I am building on a solid foundation. And the testimony of my life you know, 25 plus years on following Jesus, is that it's wonderful and it's incredible and his ways work. And it might not be easy in the moment, but it bears good fruit in the long run. So we build on Christ alone. Secondly, we should build for what will last. We should build for what will last. And here are the words once again from 1 Corinthians 3 we've already read. If anyone builds on this foundation foundation that is Jesus Christ, using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and fire will test the quality of each person's work. So we should build for what will last, and this is by no means exhaustive, but I think there are some things we should consider. Firstly, we should consider our, our walk, our walk. What I mean by that is our walk with God. We should consider our, our walk with God because... If we get this right, we'll understand that we will only ever build something that honors him, that will truly test, stand the test of the fire when we allow him to build something in us and through us. There's a paradox here that we're called to, to build something and make some choices, and yet we are also called to walk it with him so he helps us to make those right choices, and our building is silver and gold. We're not left alone to work it out and then get judged. We're, we're brought into relationship to walk with him that he would help us to build well. His plan in our lives, his purpose for us, his prompting, Jesus in John 15, remain in me uh, that I remain in you because no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. He says, I am the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. 
if I remain in you and you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. So how can I build for what will last? How can I show that when I, when I see him face to face and the fire comes and touches whatever I have built with my life, how can I be confident that it might stand the test? Well, firstly, I must learn to walk with him because it is only in walking with him that I will truly be fruitful. So we must talk with him. We must learn to hear his voice. It's one of the reasons why we have regular times of prayer and fasting. I've got to say, for me, last week did me so much good to come and pray and fast again for three days. It was, it's, I needed it. It did me good. I'm full of the joy of the Lord. And it just is so good because actually, it, not that I had gone way off center, but it just recenters when we come in and we make time for Him and we press in to God. We keep his word close. We prioritize Christ-centered community. We, we believe God's design for us is not to walk this out by ourselves, but in community with one another. This is all part of our walk that God has ordained. So one of the reasons life groups are so important here in the life of the church. This isn't, this isn't so we have a good relationship with God and separately we have friendships. It's that in Christ-centered community with one another, we might be helped in our walk with him that we might build lives that are silver and gold, that we might be kingdom bringers in our world. We have to consider our walk. Secondly, we should consider our priorities. It's so easy in the busyness of life to not have time for people. But as I consider, what, what can be silver and gold? What can be costly stones to God? What matters to him who has everything, who, whose, he, whose throne is heaven where the streets are paved with gold? You know what? He's not looking for actual silver and gold. What possibly can be treasure to him if not people? Hello? I, I am at a loss to think what it is if it's not people. Now, I do believe that, that our relationship with him matters deeply to him, that our worship, but there's, there's a component where if I, what should I be investing in? Well, I have to consider my priorities and people have to be part of that. His children. People are his children. And so when we care for one another, when we love one another, when we stand with one another, when we strengthen, when we put ourselves out to be a brother, to be a sister to somebody, or when we, we reach out to someone who is lost and outside of the love of God, is that not silver and gold? I believe it is. You know, I, we, were, we were with our life group leaders uh, recently on an evening, and we were talking a bit about this, the importance of life groups, because people are God's treasure. And I was, I was telling the story that some of you will have heard before. When, when our daughter, Anna Grace, was little, uh, she was preschool. She was uh, just turned three, I think. And uh, the two boys were at primary school. And, and one day, it was a, a day off for us, and we went, we went on foot. It was about a 20-minute walk or so. We walked to school with Anna. And, uh, and we've got the boys, and we walked home. As soon as we got home, Sam remembered that he'd left something at school. So I said, oh, let, let's, we'll, we'll go and get it before the caretaker locks up. So we jumped in the car, and we went. And Anna Grace heard it, she, and she wanted me. And without telling uh, Esther, she, she decided that she'd catch us up. She didn't realize, though, that we'd gone in the car. And so she started walking back to school, barefoot with blanket in hand, 
And, uh, and when I got home, you know, Esther was going, we've lost Anna. And I'm going, don't be stupid. It's like, you know, so she'll be here somewhere. And it's like, I mean, no, nothing ever happened where we lived. Long story short, you know, literally we had lost her. And I'm running around my street like shouting. I lost all dignity. Anna, Anna Grace. And like, uh, uh, you know, we were, we phoned the police. And then suddenly there was a, an equally strange-looking person running the other way around our street, going, has anyone lost a girl? <laughs> yeah! And what had happened was she'd set off, and about a mile from our home, she had gone through a golf course, which was our route, from the front nine to the back nine. Partway through, she had come across, or a group of four golfers had seen this girl coming by herself, this tiny person. And they stopped and said, you know, uh, hello, uh, where, where's your mummy? She said, oh, she's at home. <laughs> like, where's your daddy? Oh, she's at school. And they said, like, well, where do you live? And she's a bright kid, and she remembered her street. And it was the same street that one of the golfers, even though they were around the other side of the road to us, said we didn't know each other well, but we, but we knew each other. Um, it was the same street, and so he phoned his wife and said, I've found a little girl. She says she lives on Larch Crescent. And so Bernie started running around going, has anybody lost a girl? So, and I ran and got her. But the, here's my point. Sorry, it's taken a while to get to. <laughs> oh, it's all come back. Um, here's the point. I never looked at those neighbors the same again because they rescued my little girl. If they'd come round and cut my hedge for me, if they'd come round and wash my car, it, mm, they rescued my girl. I would have done anything for them. They got more emotional equity in my bank than you could imagine because they did the thing that was most precious to me. Here's my point, that when we reach out to a brother and a sister, when we reach out to someone that is lost with the love of God, do we not build with silver and gold? And yet in the business of life, we can struggle to do that. We have to attend to our priorities. Thirdly, we should, we should consider our substance. Will what we are investing our finances in stand? Will it, will it stand the test of time? Will it stand the fire? Jesus in Matthew chapter 7 says, Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moths and vermin destroy or where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Jesus is saying, with what you have, he's clearly talking about money, he's talking about substance. He's saying, invest in what will last for eternity. And we have to consider this, along with our priorities, along with our walk, along with some other things, that we have to consider this. You know, last week, rightly, uh, John Andrews uh, commended Gabriel and Tracy who've just begun giving a voluntary year of their lives. They're serving in our kids' ministry. I'm saying, like, wow, what a sacrifice, what an investment. And, and that's absolutely right. But there's a little bit about, you know, if we really get this 1 Corinthians 3 scripture, that actually what we do with our lives will be burned by fire, why would we not want to do something that serves the kingdom? 
Now, yes, it is a sacrifice, it is an investment, and ultimately it's, it's right for them because it's in the timing of God, and we should only do what the Lord leads us to do. And there was a clear hand of God upon their coming and serving for a year. But if we get this, we should be eager to invest in what will last and reticent to invest in what is temporal. No, this, this is a countercultural message. This is not a popular message. But if we are going to stand the test, then actually what we do with our substance, there's got to be an aspect of this where we're looking to invest in the eternal. We're looking to invest in what matters. I think sometimes we fail to join the dots. We lose sight. And uh, you know, I, I want to commend this congregation for the financial giving, the tithes and offerings, and the two miracle offerings of the last two years of Vision 80 and then Next Level. And some of you have come newly among us in the last year, but those have been on the journey. It has been absolutely phenomenal. It's been incredible. But you, you might fail to join up the dots of what you've invested in. Because if, if you've given, you've sown, you've invested into something that's eternal. And I think we can miss it sometimes. We can respond to the prompting of the Lord. We can, we can do what we said we did. We can give faithfully. But we can forget we are investing into something that will last forever. You know, it's been a miracle. You know, if you weren't here, two years ago, we had a 1.8 mortgage, 1.8 million pound mortgage on this building. And it was hampering the vision because we were spending over 100,000 pounds a year on our mortgage. Uh, we were woefully understaffed for what we were trying to do. And our ministries and our mission was limited. And then two years ago, there was that first vision offering and, and 400,000 pounds was, was given and pledged over a year. It was incredible. And then last year, the same thing happened, like uh, the same amount. And I actually think that was a bigger miracle than the first year. And yet during that time, we've, we've taken 900,000 pounds off our mortgage. But it's not about that. It was never about that. You see, also during that time, we've moved our discipleship massively to the next level. Hundreds of lives have been impacted through courses and in life groups. Even this year, in, in Running Rooted, in running the James series, we've, we've been able to strengthen our children's ministry. We've been able to strengthen our youth work. Some of the, the changes that are coming in this season, are, it's, a, it's a potential massive step change for our young people. I'm so excited about what's going to flow out. We've been able to strengthen our young adults' work. Synergy continues to go from strength to strength. We've been able to grow our staff team and build infrastructure, which is so important in running an organization charity like us. The fact we've been able to professionally deal with things like GDPR and take it in our stride. It's important. These things matter. They're part of us staying stable. It's enabled Esther and myself to continue, by the grace of God, to play a key role in the city among leaders and galvanize the church to, to pray together and to do mission together. As Esther heads up the chairs, the Winter Night Shelter project and is on the Hope Board and, uh, and I have the privilege of bringing City Praise and Prayer together. We've recently been able to take Steve Jones on to our staff who would have come on earlier other than him out working the, the duties of his previous job. But it's a game changer because Steve is, is going to be fully in mobilizing us into mission through our missions projects. But also it's, it's not just somebody that's able to do it. There's a call on his life. You know, he's been in meetings this week, connecting people. I said to him this week, you're a Barnabas. You're going to link people up. There's something on his life. It's a game changer, not just for us in CLM, for the city. And 
And you know, this week coming, uh, Esther and Steve have been invited up to Hope for Justice to do some strategic thinking about how churches partner with Hope for Justice, which is in the business of rescuing people out of human trafficking. We're invited, and they're able to go. Why? Because we've got capacity for them to go. Now, two years ago, I said, "I'm really sorry. Thank you for the invitation," uh, and so on and so on. This week, Stephen, a meeting about how the church can be involved in the city of culture in 2021. We've been able to release Luke at this time, not only into students, but all, uh, into youth, but also into our student work. And, and you'll hear some news in the coming weeks of what we're going to be doing for university students. But let me also tell you, as hundreds and hundreds of flats are going up on our street, I'm planning permission for the building beyond the one that's going up now for 900 flats, 18 stories high. We, we have a mission field on our doorstep, and God's going to do something. We've been able to put some resource behind it. We're able to be involved in the higher tour this year, seeing hundreds of people respond to the gospel. We've made an agreement, and we'll say more about it, of extending our partnership with a work in Lebanon with, among Syrian refugees. And yet, here's the thing. I'm not sure how much of that, any or, or little, would have been done if the giving had remained as it was. And so, for every life change, if you've invested, you have a share in that. If you've invested, you have a share in every disciple made. You have a share in every step taken forward. You have a share in what is going to last forever. You have a share in city impact. And so easily, I think we can fail to join up the dots, but this is part of our treasure in heaven. It's part of investing because it all goes to the transformation of lives. Uh, we should, lastly here, consider our talents. It's a demanding thought that fire will test our lives. But are we carrying any hidden or dormant talents that the Lord might want to use? Uh, Lamar, who's playing keyboards today, um, he, he grew up in church in, in another part of the country and from an early age was involved in worship team. And as can happen in some churches, I understand was, was slightly overused. So when he came here, um, he kept his head down. Now I get that. Sometimes we need to come. There's a time of recovery. You know, if you've been on every week for 13 years, it's actually good just to breathe and be in the congregation. But we got to know Lamar. There's incredible, beautiful grace on, on this lovely guy. And we invited him to be one of our life group leaders. And he came around to my house. He couldn't make some training so, or something. So I said, well, listen, come around to our house and I'll, I'll just give you a crash course. And he came and we got a piano in our house. And he walked in and he said, oh, who plays the piano? And I saw something in his eye. Now, this wasn't just, oh, there's a piano. I, I said, do you play? Anyway, and I mean, it was like, oh, no. <laughs> Me and my big mouth. You know, it was like, it was like, and he went, yeah, yeah. And I went, oh, great. I said, have you, have you played in worship? He's like, Yeah. <laughs> I said, come on, man, take a seat. And I pulled the piano chair up. I tucked him in. And I, I was like, oh, no. And I said, come on, do you, do you know Alpha and Omega? He's like, yeah, yeah. So I said, come on, play. Let's hear you. Oh, he played these fat gospel chords for, for which you need 15 fingers. You know, I, oh, the touch. And I'm like, man, you are so busted. Like, so like, now. Now, actually, I don't take credit for it because it was the timing of God. 
But actually, there's a talent there that needs not to be hidden. There was a right season, actually, for it to be rested. A field that is overworked and overplowed sometimes needs to be fallow for a season in order to be fruitful. But it was time. And I think the Lord just orchestrated the whole thing. It was a Holy Ghost stitch up. But actually, here's the thing that, here's the thing is that, you know, Lamar is going to stand in the fire. Sorry. Well, I'm not. It's, a, it's we're all going to stand in the fire, my friend. You're going to stand in the fire. And, and, and oh, not to carry a talent that wasn't used. But to carry a talent that, where the Lord might say, every time you practice, every time you prepared, every time you prayed over that, every time you got in early, every time you served, every time you gave, every time you ushered people into my presence, it's silver and it's gold and it stands the test. I wonder, I don't know, are you carrying a talent? Maybe like, oh, well, I do that, you know, I, I, I do that Monday to Friday. I, I don't want to, so it's not all about serving in the house. A lot of what we do Monday to Friday, that is our silver and our gold. I get, 100% get that. But sometimes we can be reticent. Finally, we should build believing that we can't see it all. We should build believing that we can't see it all. This might not be my snappiest point ever, but there is something deeply significant here. You see, when we deal with the natural affairs of life, the best we can hope for is addition. You see, another rung on the career ladder, another ornament on the mantelpiece, we can add one, another family memory in the back, by the way, which are incredibly important to invest in, but we can only add. But when we deal with kingdom business, we enter the realm of multiplication because we enter the business of lives being transformed and transformed lives transform lives and transform lives transform lives and it runs away from us. Jesus says the, the kingdom of heaven is like a seed you know, a seed falls to the ground, but when it springs up, it produces many seeds. It, Jesus said the kingdom of heaven, it's like yeast. You put it in, but then you have no control of it. It works through the whole batch. You know, this is what happens when we enter kingdom domain. And we, we should be building by faith that some of what we're investing in, we can't see and we won't see. Because actually we're not intended to. The business of multiplication. Sometimes we can be so short-sighted. You know, you, you might not know, but I, I, am, I am short-sighted. I'm wearing contact lenses. But I, I didn't realize I was short-sighted for quite a while, till it was quite bad. But I was in the days when I was, I was in um, church, and uh, the, the words came on the screen in my day using a contraption called an overhead projector. I don't remember that. If anyone was ever involved, it was the most counterintuitive piece of kit ever did because it was based on mirrors. So if you want to go forward, you had to pull it back and left and right. We also had a worship leader who, who had a penchant for uh, putting a set down but then not actually using those songs and, uh, and going to another. I see that hand, brother. And um, the, uh, some of us need ministry for this because what happens is I... Because then actually a new song comes up and they break in at the chorus and you kind of go, you know, um, shout to the Lord, shout to the Lord. It's not, it's not shout, it's not shout. It's, it's my Jesus, it's my Jesus, my Savior. <laughs> pull, pull the M up. And it's not in the envelope. Because it got filed with give thanks to the Lord, his love endures forever. And everyone in the room's looking over at the projector and come on, we need the words. <laughs> But what happened was that I, I was in worship and I, I, like, I, I, I mean, I was so frustrated because they kept blurring the words. 
Like the, the words were, every week they were out of focus. And I knew you only had to turn the top of it. And I remember turning to someone and saying, like, what is wrong with this guy? Like every week the words are, are out of focus. And he said, they're fine. I was like, they're not fine. They're, they're blurred. And he said, they're, they're sharp as you like. I said, no, they're not. They're out of focus. He said, mate, you're out of focus. <laughs> and I went to the opticians and I, I discovered I was short-sighted. But the trouble is that some of us, we don't realize we're short-sighted. Because we're, we're living our lives only in the immediate, and we're invited to enter into the glory of eternity, to invest our lives into something that will last forever. This is our silver and our gold, and, and I know time is gone and we're nearly done, but if you can stay with me one moment on this, this really captivated me recently. One scripture, just hold this if you can. Uh, this is from Hebrews 11. It's the chapter on faith, and, and the, the, the hallmark of faith, uh, the heroes of the faith, and but towards the end, it talks about there were others who were unnamed, and it says some faced jeers and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. Guess me. They were killed by the sword. They, were, they went about in sheepskins and goatskins. They were destitute, persecuted, mistreated, and the world was not worthy of them. They wandered around in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. Hang on, because here it is. They were, these were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had promised since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us they may be made perfect. I don't know if you understand this. What this is saying is there were those who invested their lives into something and in their lives they didn't receive what they were believing for, but with us they receive it. Because actually they're not in time, they're in eternity. And God is dealing in eternity. And so they have received the promise, but only as it is fulfilled in us. Because they invested their lives into what was to come. They sowed into the kingdom. They couldn't even see it. And yet they came to see it. That actually they were made perfect with us. And here's the thing that we, if we believe this, we will live and build in silver and gold. We will hold to the priorities of heaven. If we understand there are some things that we will sow into that we won't, we maybe can't even see in the spirit. We certainly won't even see with the natural eye. And yet we will be made perfect when the promise is fulfilled in eternity. That our lives should have a dimension of investing in something. In 1936, um, on this site, Mary and Eddie Durham began a church and a group of brothers and sisters, they, they bought a piece of land and they built a little church. I bet they were believing to do something for the grace of God. I bet they were believing to serve God in their generation. And I reckon that they would have had enough sight to want to invest in the next generation and maybe even to pray for the generation after that. But did they see us? I'd be surprised. You see... Tony Williams, who is an elder here, just raise your hand, Tony, if people don't know you. He, he's been in the church since he was two. He would have been the, the children's children generation to Eddie and Mary Durham. But now his children are in the church. And their children are in the church. One of their children's playing drums today. And in time, their children will have children and they'll serve the Lord to the ends of the earth. Who knows what God will do? Because we're now into the realms of multiplication. 
And something was sown in a season that we can be so short-sighted. But, you know, did you ever read the genealogies and think, my gosh, that's a bit unnecessary. Most of us, we don't know our great-grandparents or much about them and certainly not much of the generation before that. And God, in one breath, writes 42 generations. Why? Because He thinks like that and He sees like that. And when we build a house for God, and I am done. Let the worship band come on or I'll just preach forever. The... When we see that, it will change our lives and we will order our lives, not just for today and the affairs of today matter, but that we order the priorities of our lives. We build a house for God that builds into eternity, that we have by faith, there are things we are believing for, but if we have by faith the conviction, there are things that we don't even yet see in the spirit because we're building in silver and gold. Why don't we stand together? Father, we bring you our lives today and we pray, God, that individually and corporately, would you help us to build a house for God? Would you help us with our lives to build something that honors you? Would you help us to make the choices and the decisions, God? That when we stand before you, when we see you face to face, when your word says, and we shall be like you, that also the the work of our hearts and our lives be silver and gold that it would stand the fire the purpose may have a price and the cause may be worth the cost but we will invest in what will last and for your glory build a house for your name 